0: open them to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And as you can imagine, we're going to be discussing the parable of the sower. And as Pastor Jared explained last week, Matthew chapter 13 is filled with parables. In fact, there are eight total parables in this chapter. But uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn Matthew uh, chapter 13. Well, as we get into uh, the text this morning, I I wanted to kind of uh, just sort of illustrate this principle of the sower as we already talked to the kids about. But uh, a sower really depends on something that uh, a lot of businesses use uh, to this day. It's terminology that a a business would use. It's called return on investment. Return on investment, if you're into this lingo, uh, you might refer to it as an ROI, return on investment. And the, the basic definition of an ROI is it's, it's a metric used to understand the profitability of an investment. An ROI compares how much you paid for an investment to how much you earned to evaluate its efficiency. So, for example, if you invest 100 dollars in the stock market, in a a stock that's available in the stock market, and let's say over a year, that stock, that particular stock, pays out a 10 dollar dividend to you, well, then you have gained a positive ROI. Because you started with 100 dollars, but in the end, you gained 10 dollars more in your pocket, now you have an extra 10 dollars that you invested in, and that will continue to grow uh, with interest. Now, this is the technical definition in the financial market uh, this morning. But if you really think about an ROI, a return on investment, we all kind of make these decisions on a regular basis when we make decisions. It's part of our decision-making process. So, I have some examples of of an ROI you may encounter each and every day. The first example is a vending machine. Anybody used a vending machine lately? I cannot remember the last time I've actually used a vending machine, but I used to use them quite a bit when I was younger. Now, a vending machine, you know, you can either get drinks or you can get snacks, depending on the type of machine. But there's always a little bit of risk with a vending machine, right, depending on the machine and what you're trying to get. We'll we'll use one that has bags of potato chips, how about that? So you walk up to a vending machine, you see the potato chips that you want. look through the glass, there's lots of options, you press in the code like R35 or whatever it is and you pay uh, an exorbitant amount of money compared to the little bag of chips that you're about to get, you put it in there and you hope that the vending machine, with the little wires that go in a circle will actually produce the bag of chips that will fall down in the little slot there and you'll be able to pick it up. Now, you put in $1.25, or whatever the amount is, and you either get a bag of chips, you don't get a bag of chips, Or sometimes you get two bags of chips, depending on the vending machine. Now, your return on investment is dependent upon that vending machine producing the bag of chips, right? Uh, It's kind of a roll of the dice. It's it's a little bit risky for a vending machine. And and so, you hope that the bag of chips will come out. If you're lucky, you get two bags of chips, but then the person behind you is going to use that same code and put in their money, and they're probably not going to get a bag of chips. Um, So, I've been on the receiving end of both of those scenarios, where I've gotten two, and uh, other times where I've gotten zero and I just assume that the person in front of me got two. Um, so, that's, a, that's another positive ROI or potentially negative ROI in the vending machine. How about this one? How about purchasing season tickets to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Return on investment. <laughs> what do you think? Now, Season tickets are pretty expensive, especially if you're getting those, you know, 50-yard line seats or maybe the seats that have the big box up on top, and it's like air conditioning and things like that. Now, you may uh, want to reconsider this depending on the Jaguars, and if you, you know, maybe purchase season tickets for the Jaguars, you might see one or two victories out of 17. Um, So it's not really a great return on investment, is it? Not a really good ROI. The final return on investment we just talked about is farmers. Farmers are really dependent on ROIs. They sow seeds. They do lots of back-breaking manual labor. And they're really dependent on a lot of things. They're dependent on the soil. They're dependent on the weather. They're dependent upon help. They're dependent upon a lot of different factors that are really outside of their control. But they really depend on a positive ROI to survive okay? Um, There's a lot of different things that can happen between weather and animals coming in and eating their crops and uh, different things that happen in the economy. And and so Jesus is going to speak a little bit into this particular industry, the farming industry, and talk about a return on investment, an ROI from a sower. So if you have your Bibles— Go ahead and open Matthew chapter 13, and I ask if you have your Bibles ready, go ahead and stand uh, if you are able in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip ahead to verses 18 through 23. Matthew 13, verse 1. says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil." But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And Skip ahead to verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, we're looking at a passage this morning in your word, Lord, a, a parable that you told thousands of years ago. And as we look at this particular parable, God, we see that this is so much has so much relevance for us today, so much relevance for us today, equivalent to the relevance that it had thousands of years ago to the original audience. God, open our hearts to your word, the word of the kingdom. Open our hearts for what you have for us today, Holy Spirit. Engage our minds, open our hearts. God, help us to hear your voice loud and clear this morning. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we have a parable, right? Uh, Pastor Jared talked about parables, and he actually gave us a really good working definition for what a parable really is. He expanded on the common definition of a parable, which is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that is what it is. But there's some additional things about a parable that we, we really need to understand, And so I'd like to reiterate what Pastor Jared said last week. A definition of a parable is a simple earthly story with a hidden heavenly meaning designed to reveal the redemptive work of Jesus in order to force a decision. A simple earthly story with a hidden heavenly meaning designed to reveal the redemptive work of Jesus in order to force a decision. So the parables are intentional. They're intentional because Jesus is wanting the crowds to make a decision about who he is, and in particular about the message that he is teaching and preaching. The parables do not allow the listeners to remain neutral. Jesus always wants us to make a decision when we hear a parable. Neutrality is not an option. So let's unpack this particular parable. Let's go to verse 4. So previous to this, there's lots of crowds that are following Jesus, right? So so many crowds that in verses 1 through 3, Jesus has to get in a boat and go out into the lake a little bit. And he does this several times in the Gospels. And so he sits down on the boat and he begins teaching to them so that the acoustics of the water and the surrounding terrain will allow everybody that's there to hear what he's actually teaching. And so Jesus has to do this because the number of crowds that are wanting to hear him speak are, are are getting great in number. And so Jesus starts with this particular parable. And so verse 4 says, "And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them." So, the seeds that fall on the path The path is matted, it is hard, it is stony, it's not intended for plants to actually grow there. The path is just for the sower to walk down to throw the seeds into the actual soil that he wants them to. But as we sort of demonstrated earlier, when you throw out lots of seeds, sometimes they get away and they land on the path or in different areas where you don't want them. And so Jesus says, this this rock hard soil, it's just impossible for the seed to survive here. Uh, And eventually, these will be picked up by the birds. It says in verse 4 that these seeds that fall along the path, the birds came and devoured them. They have no chance to grow into a crop. So that's the first type of soil. The second type of soil is rocky ground, verses 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not Have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. So this seed gets planted in some shallow soil. Basically what happens, the seed goes into the soil. The seed begins its process. It's it's called called germination, if you remember in science class, where a, a seed actually is in the soil. It begins to do its work. It tries to take root, but it doesn't go very far because it's in shallow soil. And when the plant actually comes up, the depth of the root is not deep enough that when the sun shines on this plant, it dies. It's scorched by the sun, and that's the end of that particular plant. The third type of ground in verse 7 is ground that is surrounded by thorns. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. So this particular seed finds its place in a soil where there's, there's soil, but there's also a lot of other thorny plants surrounding it. So the soil may be able to find root in this soil. and it may be able to go deep and grow, but the fact that it's surrounded by a lot of other plants and they have thorns it eventually chokes out this particular plant and it also dies. It's, it's choked out. It has no chance to continue to grow. So that's the third type of soil. And then the last type of soil in verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil, and these produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So there we go. We have the sower we have some seeds, and we have four different types of soils. Now, thankfully, Jesus is going to interpret this for us and give us the greater meaning of what this is. This isn't simply a farming lesson, right? There's spiritual significance to this. And so, in verse 18, Jesus is going to explain this a little bit. He says the sower goes out to sow. And in verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom—so the seed— Is the word of the kingdom. Now, why does Jesus say the word of the kingdom? Well, this is what Jesus has been doing in Matthew up until this point. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he's proclaiming a message. Remember what Jesus' message is? the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. And that is his message. And that's continuing what he is teaching and preaching. And so the seed is Jesus's message. Jesus is the sower. The seed is his message. Now, who are the soils? Well, the soils are the crowds specifically the people who were following Jesus and really had not yet made up their mind about who Jesus was, maybe hadn't quite made up their mind about Jesus's message. If, is, is this man crazy? Or maybe they were just there to see what he was going to do because he was doing some pretty remarkable miracles in that time. Um, they just haven't really committed to Jesus yet as, as the Messiah. And so the different soils represent the different types of responsiveness that the crowds were giving to Jesus at that time. So let's walk through our soils again, our four soils. The path. The first one, the soil on the path, verse 19. says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the first type of person in Jesus' audience this morning is those that are represented by the path. Now these are people who've really already made up their minds about Jesus. They have seen him preach, they've heard him teach, and they've already decided that I'm not interested in this guy. I may come and listen to him, but I already know he's a false prophet and he just needs to be be shut up, needs to be put away these people have no chance of receiving the word of the kingdom, and the seed is quickly snatched up by the birds. And Jesus says the evil one, which is Satan in this, represented by a bird that will snatch away the seed that is sown in his heart. Now, what is an example of somebody that is this type of soil? I believe this is the Pharisees. Jesus is referring to the Pharisees as the path. If we look ahead a little bit in Matthew 15, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. And the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus is teaching the Pharisees are offended. And Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees had so hardened their hearts toward the ministry of Jesus and the person of Jesus and the seed that Jesus was sowing, that Jesus refers to them as blind guides, blind leading the blind. They were not open to Jesus at all. They had already made up their minds about who he was. That's the first soil. The second soil, again, is the rocky ground, verses 20 through 21. He says, "'As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulation of persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away.'" Now there were some in the crowds who were following Jesus at this time and they were pretty excited about who Jesus was. He was doing some miraculous things. He was feeding people, thousands of people at a time. He was healing people from leprosy, which is an incurable disease back then. He was like raising people from the dead. He was healing all sorts of illnesses, casting out demons. And these people were pretty excited, pretty joyful about what what Jesus was doing. The problem was... Some people had in their minds that Jesus should be doing other things. They had in their mind what a Messiah should be doing. And Jesus wasn't doing those things. And they wanted to use Jesus for their purposes. They came to Jesus superficially. They wanted Jesus to heal all diseases, especially the disease of Roman occupation, They wanted Jesus to take over politically, to be a political leader, to establish a kingdom politically, and this is not something that Jesus was interested in at this time. And so they wanted Jesus to fit into their purposes. And yet, as soon as they found that Jesus was not useful to them— And they realized that following Jesus actually was uh, signing up to some persecution, some hardships, some things that were going to be really difficult in their lives. They decided that it was not worth it to follow Jesus anymore. They were initially excited about the word of the kingdom, but there was no root. There was not enough soil for the root of the kingdom to really plant in their hearts. A good biblical example of this is found in John 6. John chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. But John 6, verses 60 through 66 says, when many of his disciples heard it, this is some of Jesus' teaching, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They were on some rocky ground. They were interested in Jesus when He was doing miracles, when He was feeding them, when He was leading them, when they thought He was going to do some amazing things. But as soon as he started teaching some really difficult truths that were kind of hard to understand, they basically said, "No, no, thank you. I'm not interested anymore. I'm not interested in that message." And they walked away, because it was too hard, too difficult. An Old Testament example of some rocky ground would be uh, King Saul in First Samuel. I'm not going to go into it, but you can look it up later. First Samuel chapter 13, King Saul is an example of some, some rocky ground that he just couldn't seem to do things God's way. He struggled with it. Struggled doing the hard things that God wanted him to do. The third soil, verse 22, the thorny ground, says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is somebody who has received the word they, they accept the teaching of Jesus, but then there's other things in the world that distract away from the seed and from the fruit that can potentially come from the seed. They may have come to Jesus, but their response is temporary. Temporary. They come to Jesus and maybe think that he's going to be an additional luxury to what they already have. Maybe Jesus is is kind of like a resume builder, that they're building some life here on earth, and they're, they're accumulating riches, they're accumulating experiences, and Jesus is just another side person, side thing that they can add to their already full life to enhance what they already have. But if they're presented with a choice between riches, the things of this world, and with Jesus, they don't choose Jesus, they choose the riches. A biblical example of this is found in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19 verses 16 through 22, it's the the story of the rich young ruler. And we're going to get to this in a few weeks, but uh, you may remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says this, He says, a a man came up to him, the rich young ruler, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Man's interested in eternal life with Jesus. This is a good sign. And Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? He's very interested here. And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man, pretty excited about this, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man was given the choice between his possessions, eternal life with Jesus, and he chose his possessions. He couldn't handle giving up his possessions. The thorns choked out the seed that was implanted in his heart. That's the third soil. The fourth soil is the good soil. This is where it gets exciting. Those are, these are people who hear the, the word of the kingdom. And in verse 23, it says, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So these are the people who come to Jesus. They, they realize that Jesus is is somebody important to them, that he is somebody that is maybe the most important person that they've ever met before, and they receive his message, and it plants in their heart, and they accept it. Mark says, in Mark's words, he says, they accept it. Luke says, they hold it fast. They are good soil, and their heart holds fast to the word of God. And these are all good, so, good qualities for soil because you want soil that is deep and rich in nutrients that will nourish the seed and provide a good home for the seed. And in that soil, the seed can actually do its work. The seed will actually provide life through this type of soil. And so this soil, it's not interested in thorns. It's not interested in rocks, not interested in any of those things. It cultivates itself and its only interest is in the seed. This is the parable of the sower. And so we have our four soils. We have the explanation of what those soils are and who they represent. Remember, a parable is a simple earthly story with a hidden heavenly meaning designed to reveal the redemptive work of Jesus in order to force a decision. So we have to examine this parable to see What decision do we need to make this morning? What decision is Jesus looking for from the crowds? Who do they believe that Jesus was, and would they be willing to become good soil? Those are all good questions. I have another question. We talked about ROIs, return on investments. Who receives the ROI in this parable? It's a parable of the sower. The sower sows the seed. The person who receives the return on investment is the one who is planting the seeds in the ground. The sower is the one who's going to experience and receive the ROI. So if the ROI belongs to the sower, what's in it for the soil? Ever thought about that? Where's the ROI for the soil? Is the ROI just for the, the sower? Is that fair for the ROI just to be for the sower who is sowing the seeds? What about the crowds? What about their needs? What about, what about how are they supposed to experience Jesus? What, what's in it for them if they are to become good soil? What does Jesus provide for them? Well, I think we need to examine a little bit further the sower in this. Because Jesus is the sower, right? Jesus is the sower. He's sowing seeds. He's sowing the word of the kingdom. And yet, what we know, looking in hindsight, maybe the crowds did not yet figure out, is that the sower, number one, the sower is entitled to the ROI, the return on investment. Jesus It's part of the Trinitarian Godhead. Jesus was actually present in creation. He created the world. He created you and me. Jesus is king. He's entitled to the return on investment. We're not entitled to the ROI, but Jesus is. And yet Jesus, the sower, would eventually give his life for the crowds, and he would give his life for the soil. See, God created a garden in the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. He created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And yet, eventually, Adam and Eve would sin against God. They would rebel against God, turn their backs against God. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're all born with a sin nature. Everybody knows that we are selfish beings. We're always looking out for number one. We always have to teach children how to obey. We never have to teach them how to disobey, how to do things wrong. We have to teach them how to do things right. We have to teach them morality. We have to teach them about God. This is not something that we are born with. This is a work of God. And so we have a problem as soil. We need to be rescued, we need a rescuer. And so Jesus, as the sower, loves the soil so much that he sacrifices himself for the soil. We deserve death. We don't deserve a return on investment. And yet the sower, who is entitled to every single ROI, every single investment, he gives himself up. He invests his life into us. If you were the soil, would you invest yourself into sinful, rocky, thorny soil? Not much of a return on investment for Jesus. Not much of an ROI for this sacrifice. And yet he is deserving of every return on investment. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, actively sinning, Christ died for us. Jesus went all in for you and for I, for me. What Jesus understood was another farming principle John chapter 12 verse 24 Jesus says truly truly I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit Jesus understood in order for us to become good soil to re- to receive the seed of the implanted word the word of the kingdom of God that there had to be an atoning death we realized from last week that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he resurrected. And when he resurrected, he he gives us the ability to live his life here on earth. If we place our faith and trust in him, he gives us a restored relationship and fellowship with God. He gives us forgiveness of sin. He gives us life, uh, the life of Christ here on earth, lived, lived within the power of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us eternity with God and Christ in heaven. We bring our sin and our filthy rags to a perfect Savior, and he clothes us in his righteousness all we can bring to the table is a little bit of faith, a little bit of trust, a little bit of belief, and we can have fellowship with God. And Jesus allows us to live his life through us so that we can bear fruit. And that's what it means to be good soil. The good soil, good soil believes, the good soil trusts, the good soil places faith in the seed, and more importantly, in the sower. When we bring our faith and our trust to Jesus, we receive a heavenly ROI, fellowship with God, eternal life with him forever. The sower gave his life for the soil and we really receive the ROI here, even though the the, the sower deserves. Placing your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior produces the ultimate return on investment. This parable is intended for us to respond. It's intended for us to look through the eyes of the soils here and figure out which, which soil am I? And it can be a, a, little, a little confusing, so I want to walk us through this a little bit, because we can't walk away neutral this morning. We have to walk away made up in our hearts and our minds who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how we are going to respond. First, if you have a heart that is hostile to God, that you've already made up, made up your mind about Jesus, maybe you've already decided that Jesus is not for me, I'm not interested in him, I, I'm doing my life my way, Jesus, there's no room for Jesus in my heart. I ask you this morning to reconsider. Reconsider Jesus, read the word, come ask us questions. If you're not interested in Jesus, please reconsider. Second, maybe you are thinking this through and you're identifying yourself in the second or or third soils, either the thorny soil or uh, the the soil that, that is shallow. And when hard things come up, maybe Jesus is, I just can't handle it, Jesus is too much. I I want you to really consider going all in on Jesus because it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Maybe you've sort of been tiptoeing around the Christian religion, maybe just sort of like by the pool, just sort of dipping your toe in the water and. You you think it's a good add-on to what you have going on already, but you haven't gone all in on Jesus. Maybe you, you don't consider yourself a very sinful person, and maybe you just don't need all that salvation thing. Well, this parable is for you. Jesus is the only way to a restored relationship with God. I challenge you today to make up your mind about who Jesus is, and listen to the Holy Spirit as he works in your heart. Don't walk away from this not making a decision about Jesus. Lastly, maybe you're a Christian and, and today maybe you're just, you're just struggling. Maybe you're, you're wrapped up in a, a sin that you just can't seem to shake, and, and you've been praying about it, you've been reading the Bible, and, and you've been pouring yourself into God and his word, and, and you just keep falling over and over and over again. And you see a, a parable like this, and you think that, well, maybe, maybe I'm not saved after all. Maybe, maybe I'm one of the other soils. Maybe I'm not good soil. If you're a struggling Christian, understand that all Christians struggle. We all struggle with sin, the process of sanctification. I wanna encourage you to plug into Christian community plug into believers that will help sharpen you, that will help lead you back to our Savior, because the work of salvation is not dependent upon how much fruit I produce. It's already, it's dependent upon what Jesus has already done for us. And when we submit to Jesus, he works his life in and through us. And so, if you're looking at yourself today and you say, well, I don't have a lot of fruit— Well, Jesus allows for differences in fruit in this parable. He says some 100, some 60, some 30. So if you see some fruit, there's evidence of salvation there. Now, if you see yourself and you examine your heart honestly and you don't see any fruit, then you may need to re-examine yourself and give your heart to Jesus. I'm going to ask Pastor Wesley to come up here as we close like I said, this parable is, is intended to be responded to. We have a, a few ways you can do that. We're going to sing a, a song here in just a minute. Um, if you would like to talk about Jesus, if you would like to talk about his saving work, if you would like more information about who Jesus is, or if you just want to settle once and for all who Jesus is to you, I'll be here up front. I'll be more than happy to speak with you. If you're not comfortable with that um, and maybe you just want to reflect a little bit more this week, we have these connection cards. should be in the pew back in front of you. On the back, it just says, how can we pray for you? And if you would like to just fill that out and leave a name and some contact information, uh, one of the pastors here uh, will we'll be glad to, to pray with you, uh, to talk with you at a later time, to help you really understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Maybe this morning you, you are good soil and just the reminder of what the sower did for you is, is just joyful. Uh, I ask that you just lift up your voices to the Lord this morning. Thank him for what he's done for you and worship him as the great and wonderful God that he is. Father, I thank you for your word thank you for loving us, God. I thank you that as as the sower, Lord, you, you didn't just throw your seed out into the fields, into the soil, and just, and just let us lie there, but you actually died for us. You gave your life for us so that we can have relationship with you. We can have fellowship with you. We can have eternal life with you, God, if we simply just show up with faith and trust in who you are and Lord, we accept you, God, and you live your life in and through us. God, what an amazing, amazing thing. God, you are so wonderful. God, open our hearts and our eyes to this reality this morning. And God, as we sing this morning, work in hearts, God, that maybe uh, just haven't fully accepted the seed of the word of the kingdom. God, may we finalize our decision about you this morning. May we not leave here still wondering what place you have in our lives. Do your work in our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. I ask these things in your name. Amen.